we've made it to the middle of the week and we're going to be in a really tough chapter today first Corinthians chapter 5 and it's tough because Paul sometimes doesn't seem to sound the same as Jesus whenever Jesus talks about forgiveness and we dealt with this a week ago Monday so if you take a look a week ago Monday and see the Monday morning message about forgiveness and the way that fish don't form committees is what we're looking at. There were a couple that were going, oh, but, but, but wait, all of these Paul passages and everyone that objected ran to 1 Corinthians 5 at some point in their argument. And it's a, it's a valid place to go. It's, it's a section you've got to deal with. And there are times that Paul seems to be harsher than Jesus ever would be. We saw that in Galatians, for example. When he talks about those that wanted circumcision, he wished that they would just go ahead and cut off their male parts. Um, Jesus didn't talk like that. Paul was Paul, Jesus was Jesus. Jesus was the son of God. And Paul was an apostle trying his hardest to live out and apply the reality of Jesus to the situations he faced. And people first, uh, the, the city of Corinth, and the entire culture of the Corinthians was quite a situation. As you already saw, as we, we, take to, we went through, what, four chapters already. And in chapter one, he's constantly having to say, would you, would you just settle down and don't pick sides and don't go fighting? And it, it's, a, it's a tough place. I don't think any minister that I know of would want to go to Corinth. I would imagine most of them wouldn't even write a thank you, but no thank you email. They would just block them and run. Paul's in the middle of it. And it's also complicated by this. We, we tend to think, all right, Corinthians, you know, they, they had a church. Therefore, they were like us and they needed to have that church to you know, behave itself. And that's what Paul was writing these letters about. But it's, it's way more complicated than this. You've got Jews who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but you have a lot of Jews who did believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Some in this group have now come into the Corinthian church. They are in Corinth, they're doing business there, they live there, they have cultural roots there somehow. Some of these Jews, and now I'm going to completely mess this up because I just keep one, these are bullet points, not numbers, right? Some of these Jews are proselytes. What that means is they were Gentiles and they then converted to the Jewish faith and then accepted Jesus Christ. So biologically, should we say that? I'm not really sure that's even uh, genetically true, but they would not have considered themselves Jewish by blood, but by faith and then Christian. But they didn't do and then. They believed, as Paul seems to, and uh, the, the early writers of the church seem to, to believe that Jews and Christians were the same family. This, the replacement theology of God getting tired of the Jews, so he kicked them out and grabbed the Gentiles, is not found in scripture, and it doesn't matter how many preachers yelled that it was. The Jews were still beloved of God, and it was from them that these first churches were founded. Gentile converts linked up with them and they came from two different cultures entirely. 
two different sets of rules. That's going to clash. That's going to cause some problems. And these Gentiles aren't, we, you know, we can't say the Jews and refer to all Jews everywhere. You certainly can't do that with Gentiles. Why don't you think about that for a second? Uh, you've got a tiny little island called the United Kingdom. Some people call it Great Britain. Technically, it's United Kingdom. Now, in the United Kingdom, you've got Scots, you've got the Northern Irish, you've got the folk from the Isle of Man, but you've also got folk from the Channel Islands. Well, let's not forget the, the Welsh and the English. Are they all the same? Do they have the same culture? A lot, yes, but all the same, no. Well, break it down, even among the Scots. You've got Highlanders, Lowlanders, Glasgow, Edinburgh. Those that root for Celtic and those that root for Rangers. They're different cultures. So all of these different streams are coming together because Jesus created a church that was for everybody, universal, Jew, Gentile, whatever culture you are. That's the good news. The what do we do now news takes place whenever all of the people show up. And now they believe in Jesus and they're bringing all their cargo with them, all of their culture, all of their history, all of their desires. And oh boy, Corinth is our experimental Petri dish that Paul's having to deal with. And they've got a situation here in chapter five. It is actually reported. Now the way the NIV puts it, you could actually read that as like, it's actually reported. The, the words there, I'm led to believe by uh, other versions, but also by Greek um, scholars that I know. So a much better reading would just be, it is generally reported, because that would be correct. It's generally reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Well, let's talk about this. What's going on? Now, here we really get a mess because the different versions will grab different words to try to explain the situation. And the versions that use the word fornication, that's just not really cutting this. That's not what is going on here. It is any form of sexual immorality. So the NIV really works hard there. It's called pornea. This is a, uh, a thing that is wrong sexually. Now, in our modern day parlance, fornication is marriage between two people, I'm, I'm sorry, sex between two people who are not married. Adultery is sex between two people who are married, but not to each other. Do not apply those here because those are English and American legal definitions. They're not the way the Greeks, the Jews, the Romans used the words. They had a general word, pornea, that covered all sexual uncleanliness. And you may look at this and be going, what kind of man would marry his stepmother? Well, fair question. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't looked upon well, uh, not by any of the cultures around, although, once again, throughout all history, including today, the upper echelon, the intellectuals, the ruling classes, the stars and entertainers, all lived by a completely different code than the rest of society. Uh, whatever rules are upon us are not upon that, that upper 1% of the intellectual and entertainment and 
you know, those people and uh, the, the political people. So yeah, yeah, you had Herod doing all kinds of stuff like this, but it wasn't accepted. And the Jews didn't go around going, well, we're very, very proud of that, frankly. And the Romans had a lot of this going on, but you didn't have a lot of the Gentile Romans walking around going, you know, that's, we're very proud of that. Let's get a round of applause for, for Claudius. No, they didn't. So what's going on here? This is, uh, if you take a look deep into the culture and, and what the rabbis have taught us and what early Christians have taught us, this was the man's stepmother. We do not know if his father was still alive we do not know if this was a divorce from uh, the stepmother divorced the husband to marry the son. Uh, we don't know whether the dad died and the, husband, the son just took her in and called her wife. There, in fact, was this, this kind of thing did happen and it sometimes happened among Gentiles before they became converts to Judaism. Once they became a Jew, they were proselytes then, they became a Jew, the teaching among many Jewish rabbis was that union was now okay because they had converted and they were now a new person. And you do get some of that actually in 1 Corinthians 7, which we'll get to in a bit, not today, obviously, but we'll get to it in a bit, where Paul will say, you know, this is what we want, but whatever state you were found in when you came to Christ, stay in that state. So, in other words, we're not going to fix this by yelling, all right, you're going to have to divorce her. This is going to get complex because things were complex. Some people showed up with more than one wife and they had children by, by them. What are you going to tell them to do? Uh, divorce the other ones? kick out those kids? Uh, how are we going to make this all function? We are blessed in our society with not having this pop up very much. It is still called in our society incest. There, uh, back in, the, in British history, before two people would get married, they would publish the names of the people who wanted to get married in somehow. You know, it would be yelled in the local community uh, center circle, or uh, it could be put in a newspaper later, uh, and it was called the bands. They were, they were going out there with the bands. In other words, anybody knows why this shouldn't work. And that relic uh, even existed in some wedding ceremonies that I've seen in my life where they'll stop and uh, the minister or priest will say, does anyone here know of any reason why these two should not be joined in holy matrimony? And there's this silent period where everybody sweats a bit and then they go on. Well, the idea was to make sure that these people weren't married to other people and not yet divorced, or that they had made promises to other people, or that they were not related. Because if you think sexual immorality is bad today, and it is, oh my goodness, Look at your history. Kings dropping 20 and 30 different illegitimate children and children are never illegitimate, but you know what I mean. Uh, outside of wedlock. The, um, and it wasn't just kings. Robert Burns, the national poet of Scotland, how many women did he have? And he's deeply in love with all of them momentarily. And yet he wasn't 
you know, hold up for adultery. It was, these things happened. So you'd have to publish the bans, all right? They weren't doing this. Somehow, and we, <clears throat> that's, this is the big deal here. We also got to get, when people say, I know what Jesus said, but Paul in 1 Corinthians, never, never, never allow a, I know what Jesus said, let's run to Paul to define it, come out of you. We have to define Paul by what Jesus said. Paul does not get to define Jesus. Jesus gets to define and illustrate Paul. He is God. Paul is not, and we are not. So whatever Paul's going to do here cannot violate what Jesus said. And so, you know, a couple would then run back and say, well, what Jesus said was this, but what he really meant was, and it's obvious that, well, it's not obvious. It's not obvious he meant something other than what he said. We have to walk into this chapter knowing that we don't know. We don't know the background of this man and this woman. We don't know the background of the man's father and the woman's former husband. Is he alive or dead? Did he buy her as a slave? Probably not. The language doesn't seem to point that direction. And she broke free from him and the son rescued him. I mean, there are all kinds of ideas about how this happened. But what Paul is appalled by is, and you are proud. These types of marriages existed then, they exist today. The way you fixed it then was repentance. Now, repentance didn't mean divorce. Think about this. Think about David and Bathsheba. One of the most horrible events in the Old Testament, and that's saying something. David, and you know the story if you're church people, and if you're not, email me, patrick at rsafeharbor.com, and I will clue you in on the story. But David the king takes Bathsheba, there's no indication it's, it is mutual. And how can it be when a king approaches you for sex and you are merely the wife of a soldier? And in that time and class and power differential, there's just no way this could be okay. There are those, those that say that it was rape. At some level, I think you could absolutely make that argument from what we know. And what we don't know, we don't know. And that's a ton of stuff. Regardless, it's horrible. It is horrible what David does to Bathsheba and to Uriah, her husband. And Bathsheba is referred to as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Even after she's married to David. Until David repents before God for the sins that he has done. From that time on in scripture, she is referred to as the wife of David. Let that just ponder in. If you come to God and you've got all these piles of sin in your life, God knows you can't fix it. And trying to fix some things are gonna break other things. So he asks you to change your life from where you are. He asks you to repent. I know that's very confusing for some. Because it's, it's a lot to deal with, frankly. 
But these people aren't repenting. They're proud of it and not really sure why. <clears throat> I, I'm just not. I've, I've read quite a bit of different ideas and stories here, but I'm just not sure why they're proud. And by the way, to a Christian and to a Jew, pride is a real huge sin. Pride at any time. That's why humility is taught. And we are to approach each other in love and grace and mercy, not from a position of higher and arrogance. And in fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, when God lists the seven things he hates, number one thing, haughty eyes, arrogance, pride. So don't divorce pride as part of a huge part of the sin Paul is going after here. If you paid attention in chapter 4, he was going after all of them for pride. Say, no, you don't need anything. You know everything. You don't need us. And, and, and it was very sarcastic, very harsh. And even says, this is very harsh. Pride was rife in what was going on in Corinth at every level and in every chapter, all right? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? because he was married to her? No, that was, that was approximate cause. But the original problem is he's proud of it and other people are proud of it and we don't know why. We don't know why he's proud. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who's present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is pre present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And that is a really difficult passage to figure out what the Greek there exactly means and what Paul means, uh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Whew, so what, how do you hand somebody over to Satan? Well, this broaches the subject of excommunication. The word is not found in scripture. Uh, in my religious tribe, we didn't use that term. We used disfellowship, and, and that wasn't found in scripture either, that word. What it means is there has to be a time where you have to look, be able to look at somebody and go, you know something, I don't think we can walk together until this is sorted out. I think there's an issue here, and we need to talk about the issue. In scripture, if I'm reading correctly, and, and that's an if, because I'm just Patrick, right? Uh, I'm not your brain. But if I'm reading scripture correctly, there are three things that I find that a Christian can do that absolutely just kind of negate the baptism. And that's my own phrase, never found in scripture. Denying that Jesus is the Christ. Have Christians done that? Oh yes, sure. Uh, meaning it and then walking away from God, well, you are allowed. You know, the Bible says God has you here and nobody will snatch you from his hand. But it doesn't mean you can't walk away if you just decide you, you're going to. And the second is a persistent, non-repentant sexual immorality, such as what seems to be going over, uh, occurring here. And the third is being a heretic. And the word heretic there means divisive. Uh, divisive, if you want to pronounce it correctly. <clears throat> and it, it refers to 
people who split families and split churches and split friend groups because they are divisive people. It does not specifically mean anything to do with false doctrine. It is about the way they live their lives. And we covered that when we went um, through First and Second Thessalonians back some time ago now, huh? So what's going on? <clears throat> we, we still don't know. But what does it mean to hand over to Satan? It means, all right, if this is the way they wanna live their life, let them live their life, but don't boast about it and don't accept this as normal and good. Let, let him go. If he chooses this way, it's kind of like the rich young ruler. Uh, if he chooses riches rather than following Jesus, that's a free choice. This man has made a choice. Let's see if he chooses a better choice, uh, a repentance rather than a boasting. The problem is though, he's not alone. It seems like the whole church is rallying around this. And again, I cannot figure out a scenario where that that explains this to me. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you might be in a new unleavened batch as you really are. And he's going to go on about this. What's, what? What? It doesn't take much yeast to leaven the whole loaf. And he's saying, this is yeast and it's going to you know, Christ told the apostles, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, you let them get that little bit of legalism in, that little bit of, you know, Jesus did that, and that was really nice of Jesus. Now, Paul taught us the law. You let a little bit of this get in. The next thing you know, you've got separate clergies, massive buildings, and people hungry in the streets, but we're okay because we're worshiping right. No, don't go that way. But there's another way. Don't let the yeast of this kind of behavior get in. Or all rules about sex are gone and all rules about lying and all rules about breaking covenant are gone. And, and if that happens, have, has Christ made any difference to us at all? What has Christ done for us if nothing in us reflects this? I want you to hold fire for a minute. I want you to be very, very patient with this and think about this. This man has committed a sin, pornea. It's a sexual uncleanliness. Incest was against the law then, and now this was not legal, except again, the higher ups and elites did whatever they wanted to, um, but for the common people. He needs to repent, but people are boasting for reasons I'm not, I'm, I'm still would have to guess at and my guesses would all most likely be wrong. So he goes, Paul goes, don't start this. Let's re make this man repent or, or, or guide him to repentance by just saying, all right, if you choose the satanic path, we're gonna let you do that, but you can't, we're not gonna fellowship you. And some people have said, well, that, that's the same as saying, well, you can't come to our church anymore. They didn't have church buildings. They fellowshiped in their homes and in the streets, wherever they were, in the markets, along by the river as they pound the laundry against a rock or whatever they're done. 
they, they fellowshiped in and Paul is saying, you can't, you can't walk with this guy without confronting him. Here's the problem. <clears throat> this is obvious. This is huge. What about Patrick's sins? Patrick has a lot. Now, most of them are die aborn. They die aborning. In other words, a thought comes and I'm going, no. Some of them slip out. They slip out because they were in. So it's not like an accidental sin. Flaw, evil in Patrick. Now, I've never been tempted to marry my stepmother. I don't have one, but that's beside the point. I've never been tempted to marry somebody other than Miss Cammy. We're coming up to 42 years this month, so we did something right there. But I am um, now. I, that, so that makes me better than this guy. Cool. I get the fellowship. You know, I do. But I'm not. I'm not better, but I do get the fellowship. Those of us who have sins that aren't that public need to be very careful about grabbing rocks and running after this guy. The Bible says be very careful, and I'm saying it too. All here, this is a passive thing. This is not, we're gonna read a letter in front of the congregation saying this man has nothing to do with us. No, this letter's come to them because they're still acting like, well, you know, hey, look at this guy. It's weird. But he says, listen, you guys are Christians. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Clean up your act, is what he's saying. And this guy's got to clean up his act, because God came to clean us. And that cleansing is a continual. I love that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us of all sin, the scripture says. Paul's going to get very specific here. We're running on a little late. I'm sorry. I'll run through this quickly. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Uh, <clears throat> the word there is Adelphos, which just means family. And it, technically it means brothers, but everybody used it as family. So brothers and sisters. But as sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, do not even eat with such people. Now this seems to fly completely against what Jesus did, especially in the book of Luke, when he went out of his way to eat with sinners. But it doesn't fly against him because Jesus was eating with sinners to bring them in, not to tell him, you guys are cool with me, just keep on sinning. Uh, no, he's saying, listen, we, we, did, we did eat with them. We sat down with them, but when we found out that they were bringing shame to the cause of Christ, we, we had to pull back. But we didn't pull back by saying, oh, you people are awful. We can't be with you. He, when we read through Paul, you're going to see he completely and continually reaches out saying, try to bring them back, win them back. 
So Peter says, there are some people you're never going to win back. Paul's trying to, let's try to pull them back. And he goes, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? By the way, people, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a lot nicer if we didn't judge anybody outside of our own faith community? Nobody. We didn't, we didn't spend our time on Facebook attacking people in the public eye. No, who, who are we to judge? And Paul's going to say that a lot in his writings. Are you not to judge those inside? In other words, we're supposed to look at each other and go, hey, let's get better. Buddy, you've been proud of this, but it's actually an aberration. It's a deviation from the norm. This is not what God called us to do. And you and your wife need to repent of what happened and then dedicate your marriage and your life from this day forward to living as God intended for you to live. What, Patrick, you're saying he, he can still be married to her? I had one person say, that's like saying a man can steal a watch and repent and not give the watch back. People aren't watches. And families cannot be handed back and forth. And there is no indication here. By the way, in case you're wondering who told Patrick that, I have dug and dug in every source I can find and there's no indication here that now or in what we call 2 Corinthians, they split. Rather, Paul tells them, bring them back in because some people got the wrong message and just said, you're out forever. You say, no, no, they're sorry. They realized what they did was wrong. Now they got to clean up their act and work with this. Help them. Wow, what a weird chapter. It's tough. Oh, but Paul's not done. In chapter six, they're gonna start talking about lawsuits. In chapter seven, he's gonna talk about divorce, desertion. It's, it's a mess. So tonight, you, you, ought to, um, you ought to thank Almighty God that you got to be born and, and be a part of a people that were not the first century Corinthian church. But you also ought to thank God that when Paul talked to them, he called them brothers and sisters in Christ because that means that even our sins are covered. If their sins can be forgiven and covered, our sins can be too. Thank you for meeting me with me in the middle of the week. I love this. I love being able to meet with you and all of your emails to patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Again, if you have disagreements, you can send them there, but we don't do that in the comments because this is not a debating society. This is a public platform and we, um, we're not going to give the devil or the world any reason to rejoice. All right? Make the right team applaud. Let the angels applaud you today. God bless.